announcements. First of all, we will have Bible study tonight, and God wants you well. And we have a new Bible study on Saturday nights, shepherd in a two-inch sword, so that's just kind of a little announcement. Any men who are listening in the area, I will, I've got invited to speak at a men's event uh, this next coming Saturday, March 2nd. Yes, it's already March, almost. And, uh, and so uh, that will be 9.30 in the morning. Lunch will be provided afterwards. Uh, but as a men's group I've been going to the last couple months, basically just a fellowship with some other men. Yeah, but I've been offered, asked to, to, to speak, and I will be speaking uh, this coming Saturday. So I just invite you to come, not just because I'm speaking, but just uh, I think it's a good thing. So anyway, uh, with that said in mind, all the commercials set aside, uh, we're going to be talking about the wisdom of God, wisdom being the principal thing. We're just in our second lesson. Uh, last week was kind of just an intro uh, to where we're going to go. But today, and actually if you want to, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 7, that's going to be, that's kind of our uh, launching verse for this whole thing. Because the title of this message is, Wisdom is the Principal Thing. And you'll see that when you get to uh, Proverbs chapter 4. And we'll just start out with that verse this morning. Um, chapter 4, verse 7. I'm, I'm going to be talking from a few different translations this morning, but uh, I'll start off with the New King James. It says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. We'll be spending some more time on that just in a moment. But wisdom is the principal thing. It's, uh, it's, there's a lot of things out there that are very important, very essential, but as Solomon wrote, as he, I believe he was inspired by the Lord, wisdom is the principal thing. And we're going to see even this morning, wisdom being spoken both in the Old and the New Testament. It is the principal thing. I believe wisdom has a very profound impact in our lives. But this morning we're going to be kind of focusing on that there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of man, and there's the wisdom of God. And both the Old and New Testament are going to talk about these two wisdom, mainly the New Testament, will bring out there's two kinds of wisdom. They're both wisdom. But one is the wisdom of God, and one is the wisdom of man. And there's two different kinds of wisdom. They both sound wise, because they are. But one is the wisdom of God, and the other one is the wisdom of man. In our culture, in our world today, um, our is relatively void of the wisdom of God, but has basically embraced the wisdom of man. And that, in other words, let me just say this, that the wisdom of man has become very dominant in our culture, in our world today, versus the wisdom of God. We're, we're going to see that a little bit in just a few moments. I believe, I, um, when we, I just know in my life, as a pastor, as a man, as a husband, as, even as parents, those of us who are parents, grandparents, as business people, employees, our employers, in our lives, with our finances, with our health, with relationships, and society, we need the wisdom of God. And we need the wisdom of God in these last days. The wisdom of man is becoming very cunning. Very, uh, it's, the days are evil. 
and both Jesus and Paul and others promised that in his last days there are going to be there's going to be a delusion there's going to be a deception there's going to be, Paul said, there's going to be a falling away and I'm not so much highlighting that but we need wisdom we need wisdom we always do, but we need wisdom in these last days we need wisdom to discern the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man among other things we need the wisdom of God. And if we don't operate in the wisdom of God, then we're not going to handle situations properly. Whether that's the simple things of life or the trivial things of life. From a whole, an incident with the, 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 a car, with an incident of parenting, just especially in our day with the, the stuff that's being taught in the educational system. All kinds of stuff that are out there, all different voices of wisdom that are out there and not just in our schools, but in our society, on Facebook, in the media, in the, the shows that we watch, the music we listen to, in the newspaper, which is a lot of news, it's not even news anymore, but it's commentary, it's philosophy. And uh, we're going to see that even in the New Testament, Paul talks about Colossians, that the wisdom of this world, philosophy of men, will spoil the children of God, will spoil uh, our, our, our wisdom. We're going to get into that in a few moments. But we need the wisdom of God. We need to operate his wisdom. We're in Proverbs chapter 4. Let's go ahead and scroll back up to verse 5. And Solomon says, get wisdom, exclamation mark. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all your getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. There's a lot of things in this, uh, this passage of Scripture, and actually the book of Proverbs is just full of wisdom. Uh, the whole book is. I mean, from parenting to... Uh, finances, to health, to not being a fool, uh, not being foolish, uh, to all different kinds of things, how relationships of all kinds. And so um, there's a lot of promises, and there's a lot of promises in promises and blessing that says that if we will embrace wisdom, we will experience this, these promises, we will experience these, these blessings. These promises, yes, are already in Christ, and we're going to get there, that Paul will talk about in Corinthians, that, that Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God. The, the cross, the message of the cross, is the power of God. That's where we're going. Okay, I'm not there yet, but that's just a little teaser, because as I'm talking about wisdom as the principal thing, I'm talking about the cross. I'm talking about Christ. We're going to see that in just a moment. But wisdom is the principal thing. And when we embrace wisdom... The wisdom of God, because we're going to look at the, 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 the two. It says here, uh, with verse 6, it says that, Do not forsake her, for she will preserve you. I mean, you know, and especially in these last days, and in, in the times that we're living in, we need to be preserved. We need to be preserved. The, the wisdom of God will preserve us in these times, of, of all other times. And I'm not going to talk about in the last days, but challenging times. The Bible says that when the, those who build their house on the rock, when the storms of life come, the destruction won't be great. But 
But those who build their house on the sand, which I believe is man's wisdom, and I know the context talks about those who obey God's word are building, those, building their house on the sand. Well, obeying God's word is wisdom. You can't get more wisdom than that. Yeah, and so, so wisdom is obeying God's word. And, and part of obeying his word is get wisdom, get understanding. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that means we have to go get it. It's not just automatic. We need to seek it. We need to find it. We need to apprehend it. We need to seek after wisdom. It says in verse 8, uh, yeah, excuse me, I just forget my notes here. It says, it's, verse 8 says, exalt her and she will promote you. Wisdom will promote us. I'm not just talking about a job or a vocation, although that can be. But how many of you know that wisdom promoted Joseph? Wisdom promoted Daniel. Wisdom promoted David. Wisdom has promoted people. Most, wisdom has promoted people like Esther and whatnot. But God wants to promote us because he wants to use us. Whether we are, uh, whatever stage or season or vocation we are, uh, whether... Uh, even in every area of our life, in our, in our parenting, in our, in our vocation, our jobs, in our friendships, in our, in our circle of influence, God wants to promote us because he wants to use us because in these jars of clay is Christ the hope of glory. We have a message. We have an answer. And if we are, if we are getting wisdom and we are getting understanding, then we can communicate that wisdom and that understanding to other people. So they can get it. That makes sense? We can't give them what we don't have. But we need to give other people wisdom, the wisdom of God. People come to us all the time for not just prayer requests for healing our finances, but people come to us a lot for wisdom, for direction. Just for, just for some sounding advice. Just to, uh, and some, some of them don't even know what their request is, but they just need to talk to somebody. They just need some wisdom. We all need it. There's not one of us in this room. I don't care if we're Andrew Womack or whoever we are. If we're Billy Graham, we need wisdom. We need the wisdom of God. Uh, and it also says here in verses 8 and 9 that she will bring you honor. The last part of verse 8. When you embrace her, she will place you face on your head, an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Wisdom will honor you. It will honor, I love that, will, will bring you honor when you embrace her. But I also love this part, we'll, we'll tackle this a little bit more as we go forward, that she will place on your head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory she will give to you. We're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit more as we go forward. But, where we, uh, wisdom is just a, it's a powerful thing. But if we're going to, in a sense, make it in this world, and when I say make it, because there's so many voices, and there's so much wisdom, and, and we're going to see in a few moments, the wisdom of man will destroy us. But the wisdom of God will preserve us. It will promote us. It will honor us. It will bless us. And it will help us to get through uh, a lot of challenges as well. Wisdom is the key. But if wisdom is the principal thing, then the question we must ask ourselves, is wisdom the principal thing in my life? Is wisdom the priority of my life? Is wisdom something I am focusing on? Something I am pursuing? It's wisdom the driving force in my life. 
I want to, as a pastor, as a husband, as a friend, as a brother in Christ, act and behave with wisdom. And from the simplest challenge to the most complex issue, we've been going through some things the last couple of years, we need wisdom. We need wisdom, not just in the big things, but also in the small things. You know, uh, we need wisdom how to manage our finances. We need wisdom how to do, uh, how to, to function and, and, and relate. We need wisdom in our marriage. We need wisdom in parenting. We need wisdom in every area of our lives. And I want to act with wisdom. I want to be wise so that I can be productive and I can, I want to be wisdom because I want to, I want God to get the glory. I want to get God to get the praise. And I want God to be magnified in everything I say and in everything I do. And I know that very easily to want wisdom and still act in the flesh. We, 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 we spent a little bit of time last week in 1 Kings chapter 3 when Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon, having the, the, the kingdom, needed wisdom as a king. And it pleased God that he asked for wisdom. And with that wisdom, he also gave him riches and fame. Or influence is another way of looking at that fame. It's just that he had influence. I want fame not just because I want my name on something. I want fame in the sense that I want to be influential. In a good way. Some people have been influential in a non-good way. Like, whatever he does, don't do it. <laughs> you know? Uh, so it's been a negative connotation. But I want to be, I want people to, Paul told Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely because those who watch you, I'm paraphrasing, you can save those who both hear you and watch your life. People will watch how we live. People will watch how we respond, especially if they know that we're Christians. They will scrutinize everything we do. And they will watch our lives. And I want to be a good influence, and I want to act good, uh, not so I look good, but so that he looks good. That makes sense? Because yeah. as a Christian, whatever I do, in their perception, reflects him. And I want to magnify him. I want to magnify him in my lives. But I want him to be the, the number one force. Real quick, uh, let's go to the, the book of Acts, chapter 6. I just want to make a quick little point here. This is kind of the intro. I'm still kind of in the introduction of what I, my heart I'm going to get into. Just a couple more points and then we'll get into that. But in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is highlighting three categories, uh, three requirements, rather, that the apostles required for someone to be in leadership. In this case, it was those, the seven who were going to over, oversee this business of waiting on tables. Uh, but there's three categories or three requirements that the apostles required for someone to be in leadership. And they're listed here in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good, first of all, of good reputation. And actually, I just want to toggle real quick um, to the King James here. There's a, there's a, I just like the verbiage of a word. So, wherefore, brethren, Look ye out among you seven men of honest report. And that's the word I wanted to get out of it. Honest report. Full of the Holy Ghost, or full of the Spirit of God, and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And uh, just, this is just a real quick point, but there's three categories, uh, three, uh, three requirements that 
the apostles look for those in leadership. The first one is honesty. We had a class in our, in our uh, third year at Karen's Bible College. That's for CEO training. And it was for pastors and not anyone in ministry. Although we don't necessarily focus on everything being a business. But as a church, we are running a business behind the scenes. There is administration. There is things to be done. Uh, there are laws to comply with. There is a business behind the scenes of what we're doing. But uh, Dean Mackey, who, who uh, taught the class, he, he, he's managed and owned multi-billionaire companies. And now his ministry is to train other leaders, our business people, but especially pastors, how to properly run their businesses, or run their church and their ministries. And one of the points I remember him saying in this class that we had, which was one of my favorite classes in our third year class, because I am a pastor, so I am a CEO in that sense. And so it, it, it did apply to me. We were starting our church at this time, so it was very, it was very influential for me. But at the same point in time, he, I remember he, uh, he was highlighting one point, you want people on your team who are honest. And not, just because they're honest, they're not might always say that what you want them, what you want to hear. But they are honest. And in other words, he put it on himself. He, you don't want me on your team if I'm not going to be honest. You don't want me on your team if I'm not going to tell you how, what, what that's true. True. I mean, you know that sometimes the minority is right. Sometimes the majority is wrong. And even on our board, I want people who are going to be honest. I want people in leadership who are going to be honest. Uh, it might not always be what we want to hear. But we want to hear honesty. And then there's many other connotations I can take this. But we want people in leadership who are going to be honest. Uh, we also want people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people stop right there. And I, I'm all for being honest. I'm all for being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think those are good qualifications for leadership. But at the same point in time, there's also a third category, a third requirement, and that those who are in wisdom. And I don't, and I believe, as we're, as we're going to stage this out, it's not just the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God. We want those who act with wisdom, and we're going to see what the wisdom of God looks like. I want to go back to Proverbs four seven real quick, but I want to I want to look at it in the, from the Amplified version just before we go to uh, my next point here. Proverbs chapter four verse seven, and real quickly, I'm just going to look at the Amplified version of this verse, and I like it, because it, it, it just, because of what it says, especially right here at the beginning. It says, the beginning of wisdom, now we also know that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and we're going to be looking at that more specifically next week, talking about the fear of the Lord, okay? But I just like this, but the beginning of wisdom is, colon, get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is, get it. <laughs> get wisdom. We need to get wisdom. And there, 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 there's this implication that we need to go get it. It's not just going to come to us. We need to be discipled. We need to go get it. And then we're also going to see this get wisdom, skillful and godly wisdom. We're going to see these two, two terms, uh, especially in Solomon's writings, but skillful and godly wisdom. We're looking for not just skillful wisdom, but we're also looking for godly wisdom. That's key. For skillful and godly wisdom is the principal thing. And with all you have gotten, get understanding, discernment, comprehension, 
and interpretation. But we'll look at some of that more as we go forward, especially when we get to talking about understanding a little bit more in our study, more so next week. Okay, uh, I want to move forward. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 24. And again, I'm going to read just for this context. I'm going to read from the Amplified one more time. But the Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 5. Let me read the context and then I'll make a couple uh, comments. Do skillful and godly wisdom. There's that, those two terms again. Skillful and godly wisdom is a house a house of life. That's Proverbs 24, verse 3. Uh, through skillful and godly wisdom is a house, a life, a home, a family built. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and a good foundation. And by knowledge, shall its chambers of every area be filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong and is better than a strong man. And a man of knowledge increases and strengthens his power. I'll go back to verse 33. It says, through a skillful and godly wisdom is a house, and, and he has in parentheses, a life, a home, and a family built. We're going to be talking, especially, we'll start spending more time next week on talking about how wisdom is a house. Proverbs chapter 9 and Proverbs chapter 1 talk about seven pillars of wisdom. And we're going to start looking at the seven pillars one by one. Uh, starting next week. That was actually my plan to start that this week. Uh, but then uh, as I have got my message kind of prepared for next week, I realized I need to spend a little bit more time talking about what I'm talking about today. And so uh, I switched gears uh, later in the week. But anyway, wisdom is a house. And wisdom, wisdom is, uh, we are the I'm sorry, let me just I lost my train of thought. Wisdom is a house that is built. And we need wisdom, the wisdom of God to build our lives. We need the wisdom of God to build our homes. We need the wisdom of God to build our families. We need the wisdom of God to build His church, to build our businesses, to build our lives, our finances, everything that concerns that. And we want to build that life our lives on a good foundation. Even in a, in, from a house standpoint, you want to build your house on the foundation. The most important part of that house is the foundation. Because if the foundation is bad, the whole house will crumble. And so uh, the foundation is important. They will spend more time building the foundation and getting that set. But once they, everything else can be replaced easier than the foundation. If the foundation is wrong, you have to destroy the whole thing to rebuild it. That makes sense? Uh, but we want to build it on a sound and a good foundation. Um, sorry, losing my train of thought. But verse 4 says, And by knowledge shall its chambers, every area, be filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. Now, being repetitive with some of this stuff, but we need the knowledge of God, we need the wisdom of God, not carnal knowledge, to build our homes. Every chamber of our home, our marriage, our kids, our finances, our health, our relationships, our careers. And we need the wisdom of God, if I can just go off on this, to, to build this nation. We need the wisdom of God in our nation. It says in Matthew 28, you don't have to turn there, that we are to make disciples of all nations. We are to disciple them. 
We are to give them wisdom, the wisdom of God. And we're going to tie this in with the gospel in just a moment. But we need the wisdom of God in our nation. I believe any nation that forsakes God, any nation that violates God's word, is on a path of destruction. Not because God is necessarily going to judge it, because God already judged sin for the cross. And anyone, but anyone who has refused Christ, they will see a judgment in the, latter, in, in, in the last days. But if we don't walk in wisdom, we will, and we by violating God's word, by ignoring God or whatever, however that might be, we will destroy ourselves. And this country and any country who does not honor God, does not honor His word, which is wisdom, will destroy themselves. And we will see that in every single nation. And today in our society. Our society, our culture at large, is aborting the wisdom of God by embracing the wisdom of man. Mm. And we're going to see that a little bit more in just a minute. We're getting there. Um, and this, everything I'm talking about will work on an individual level, on a family level. It will work in our homes. It will work in a business. It will work in a society. It will work as a nation on a national level. We need wisdom in every area of our lives. Okay? Without mind, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Again, go to some New Testament. This making sense so far? Yes. First time I've ever taught on this, and it's just been heavy on my heart, that we need to be wisdom. We need wisdom. We need wisdom in this day and age. I'm going to uh, go back to the, the New King James And we're going to pick up verse 17. I'm not going to read the whole context right now. I'm just going to take it, verse 17, and go from there. It says, For Christ did not send me, Paul speaking, to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, the wisdom of men, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. I really like that last part. God did not send me to now I want to read, read that verse again. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But not with the wisdom of men, but the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. When we preach or teach the wisdom of men, we make the cross of Christ of no effect. That's powerful. That's profound. And, uh, and, and uh, so... Uh, we want, there's two, again, there's two kinds of wisdom, and we're going to start seeing these, especially in the New Testament, uh, how especially Paul and James will, will distinguish between these two kinds of wisdom. There's two kinds of wisdom, but these two kinds of wisdom are in conflict with one another. Okay? Many people operate, including in the church today, operate in the wisdom of man because they can't discern between the two. One, they're not being taught the wisdom of God. They're being taught philosophy. They're being taught the wisdom of man. And we're going to see that in just a minute. I also know in my own life, especially until recent years, in recent days, I didn't even recognize the two kinds of wisdoms. Every time I saw wisdom, sometimes I would see, what does that have to do with wisdom? Yeah, there's a part of me that it sounds wise. 
It sounds logical. And we're going to look at that in just a moment, too. It sounds like it. It sounds right. It sounds noble. But it also, it, it's strained from the cross. It's strained from the gospel. And, uh, and, and it's always been a conflict. I've never understood it, but I've been understanding it. And so I understand things more when I start teaching it. And so sometimes when I teach on something, it's because I want to get a better understanding of something. And so it, it, it's a good exercise. But I don't care if I'm teaching the wall. It just helps me to teach. And there have been times through the years I have just taught messages just so I can learn something. And, and so uh, the process of, of preparing the message, the, the study of the message is very teachable. Okay? The first 17 says the wisdom of man, or the wisdom of words, makes the cross of no effect. Most people by default, and this is kind of one little major point I'm trying to make, most people by default in ignorance have forfeited the wisdom of God. I want to say that again. Most people, are, and I say a lot of people, by default in ignorance, they don't realize they're doing it. They're not personally doing it. They're not revolting against God with a maliciousness. But most people by default in ignorance have forfeited the wisdom of God by embracing the wisdom of man. You can't have both. And we're going to see this more as we go forward. The wisdom of man will cancel out the wisdom of God. It will make the cross of no effect. Okay? I can't tell you how many people I've seen, and I've even seen it in my own life at times, that I missed out on God's power and His wisdom because I embraced the wisdom of man on a particular issue or a particular thought. There's been times in my life, and I've seen it with other people, and I, I'm not here. I'm not. Nothing in this message is trying to condemn or make anyone feel guilty. I'm trying to teach the truth. I'm trying to get us to walk in wisdom. But I know there's been times in my life and other people's lives we have missed out on God's power because we have operated in man's wisdom and not the wisdom of God. See. <clears throat> Some people become so saturated in the wisdom of man. And some people, that's all they've ever known. But they, and because they've been so saturated in the wisdom of man, they cannot even see or distinguish or perceive the wisdom of God. They can't, and then one, they can't even tell the difference. But let me just say this. The wisdom of God is supernatural. You will not experience the power of God by the wisdom of man. You need to experience the wisdom of God if you're going to experience the miracle working power of God. Let me just say it this way. You will never walk on water without the wisdom of God. You will never feed the take the boys lunch and feed the multitudes without the wisdom of God. You won't heal the sick without the wisdom of God. You won't do miracles with the wisdom of God. You won't raise the dead without the wisdom of God. You can't preach the gospel without the wisdom of God. You can't walk in the supernatural without the wisdom of God because all these miracles and the, and the wisdom of man don't make logical sense. Most of the stories that we see uh, walking around Jericho seven times on the seventh day, walking seven times, does not, is not the wisdom of man. It's the wisdom of God. Some of these things, some of these 
what I call strategies, are not the wisdom of, of, of man, they're the wisdom of God. And we need, if we're going to operate in this world, uh, we're, I, I, we need to operate with the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man. I'm not saying we're not going to be good stewards and everything, but the wisdom of God is going to trust God's economy, not man's economy. The wisdom of God is not going to trust mammon. It's going to trust God in every area of our lives. No disrespect towards doctors. Or when I, I appreciate doctors. But at the same point in time, I'm going to trust the wisdom of God for my healing over any doctor's report. I'm going to trust the wisdom of God. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, but the blood of Jesus makes perfect sense. It is the reality. The wisdom of God will triumph. And we cannot walk in the supernatural if we are, content, if we are trusting and relying on the wisdom of man. We're going to see this more clearly as we go forward. But the wisdom of God, and the, wisdom, the, the wisdom and power of the cross will raise the dead, it will heal the sick, it will perform miracles, it will call those things or not as though they are. The wisdom of God will do that. And we can't get that wisdom if we're not pursuing that wisdom. We need to, to by the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of wisdom, teach us things that we need to know, teach us who we are in Christ, teach us who, who God is, to, one thing I noticed, I think I said this last week, is that when ever since Cherry and I, especially when we started going to Karis, it's not so much about Karis, but it's because Karis is teaching the Word of God. And the Word of God has, I, I see myself as a pastor, as a person, as an individual. I, and I'm not trying to gloat myself, I'm trying to, to boast in what God has done, but I have seen myself grow in maturity. I've seen Sherry grow in maturity. Other people who have known us for years have seen the growth and maturity. I'm not saying we have arrived, but we have definitely left, and we are more mature today than we ever were. In our finances, in every area of our lives, in our marriage, in, in, in every area of our life, have become more wiser because the Word of God, who is the source of wisdom, has wised us up. You show me someone who's studying the Word of God, pursuing the Word of God, pursuing a relationship with God that is genuine and thinning, they will become wiser. But someone who is doing, relying on the wisdom of man and doesn't have time for God, they will not become wiser. They will go, in other words, like a better word, dumber. And I'm not saying that in a negative connotation. I'm not making fun of it. I'm not making light of it. But they're... they're it will nullify the wisdom of God in their lives. And we'll, we'll see this more clearly as we continue to go forward. But the, it's also the, the cross is the wisdom of God. Now let me just say this before we go just a little further. And we see this in other teachings of Paul. That two things, or two groups of people, are offended by the wisdom of God. When you teach the wisdom of God, Specifically, the message of the cross. It will offend two groups of people. First of all, the message of the cross will offend the Jews. And it will offend the Greeks. We'll see this in other teachings. It will, it will offend the Pharisees. It will, there's been so many people I have taught the gospel, the message of the cross, and they are offended by us being justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. They think that's by performance, by their works by their nationality, by being a son 
are uh, a child of Abraham, that they are righteous. We are righteous because we are of Christ, you see. Paul says in Galatians 3.29, that we are Christ, and we are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. I have met so many people. I even had discussions this week on Facebook with some people. I don't get into them all, but every once in a while I do get into one of them. And uh, they're offended that we about the message of grace. They are offended about righteousness by faith. They are offended by, by the message of the cross. They're not offended at me, although they might take it out on me. They're offended at the message. And part of it also, part of this offense for some of them is they don't understand. They don't see the disconnect. And my heart is not judging. My heart breaks for them. I want them to be blinded by this veil. They don't see it as a veil. Because when you're deceived, you don't see you're deceived. Their hearts are sincere in that. They wanted to know the truth. They're, they're frustrated why they're not seeing results, why they're not seeing people healed and different things. And, uh, and they're offended. They're offended. Specific, uh, this is one conversation I've had. They were offended that you can't just... It's, it's, they were offended at the message of the finished work of the cross. But it's not, it can't be so simple that you just believe the finished work of the cross and someone get healed. They were offended at that. You can't get any That is the wisdom of God. That is the power of God. And without the cross, there is no healing. There is no salvation. And they're offended at the message, but the message is the answer. And, and, uh, and, 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 and I get this from people that I understand the cross, but we need to do more. You can't get more than the cross. Anytime we add to the cross, anytime we take away from the cross, we dilute the message of the cross. And so, and, and I get it that there's things that we need to do, and I get it that the church has been asleep, and in many ways the church has been dormant, because the church doesn't know who they are. They're not walking in the wisdom of God. And, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm actually teaching another message right now, but it just, it will offend it. But it will also, the message of the cross will also, the wisdom of God will also offend the Greeks. And that's the world. That's, the world thinks they are wise. Our society thinks they're brilliant. They think, there's a, there's a, they think they know everything. There's some, there's some terminology that's been going out in the world. My reality. And different things. I've been tackling that the last few weeks. But, and I'll get into that in just a few moments and get ahead of myself. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 3, 5, 6, and 7, you don't have to turn there. We'll get there in a few moments. It says, don't lean on any understanding. Verse 7 says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Romans 8, 6 says, to be naturally minded or carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Turn me real quick in Jeremiah 9, 23. Because I can't quote it. And we're going to come back to Corinthians. We're not done there. So. But it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these days, these I delight, says the Lord. See, the wisdom of man does not 
compare to the wisdom of God. Our culture is very self-righteous. They think they are brilliant in their own wisdom and their own eyes. All right, let's go back to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 18. <clears throat> For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of the cross. Verse 19. For it is written, I, God speaking, and he's quoted from Isaiah, chapter 29, verse 14, but God speaking says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God says, and Paul is quoting from Isaiah, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. One of God's plans, one of God's purposes is that he will destroy the wisdom of man. That's the New Testament, quoting from the Old Testament. But it's the word of God. God will, not us, not man, not Paul, not me, not Andrew, God will destroy the wisdom of the wise. It will destroy the wisdom. Verse 20. <clears throat> Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God will make foolish the wisdom of the world. God will make foolish the wisdom of man. God will, God will destroy it, and God will make it foolish. I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life I've discovered that I believe something, I've thought something, I have even taught something, and then I later found out it was so dumb. It was so wrong. It was foolish. And God destroyed that wisdom in my mind and gave me a new wisdom on that subject. Whether we're talking about healing, whether we're talking about salvation. You know, I knew I was saved from a child from first grade from a Sunday school classroom. So I grew up in a Christian home. I knew I never doubted my salvation in that sense. But since I, in the last few years, since 2009-ish, I can't tell you the exact day, but the season, ever since I started not understanding the gospel the way I understand it now, I have felt since 2009 I've been born again all over again. I'm not discounting anything I had before as far as my salvation, but I have felt saved all over again. Because there's something about the wisdom of God versus there was a lot of religion mixed in there. And I'm not downplaying anything I've been taught by different people, and perhaps that was so in some cases. None of us have been taught perfectly in every situation. Not every pastor is perfect. Andrew's not perfect. I'm not perfect. But I also know sometimes in my understanding, my perception of what I was taught, I have developed my own thoughts, my own philosophies, and my own doctrine. But there are times that God has had to unravel some of that religion so he can teach me afresh the wisdom of God. And I realized why it wasn't working. Just in even as society, it's foolish to believe because the wisdom of a man will teach things like evolution. The wisdom of man will teach that there's no God. And we'll, we'll even see that, uh, that uh, we'll see that the, the wisdom of man has no knowledge of God. We'll see that in just a moment. But how I many know uh, those are what I'm talking to the church? But that is not the wisdom of man. But that's foolish. It's foolish to, to think or believe that there's no God. 
it's been it's foolish to think that we came by evolution or some big bang theory or we came from goo. As Dave Dwayne Sheriff say we people think that we came from goo, we went to the zoo, became you. You know? And uh, and just uh, Dwayne Sheriff he just uh, he says it better than I say because he can get away with something like that. I do believe in the big bang theory in this sense, God spoke and banged it out. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I, 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 that's my version. But I believe the wisdom of God is that God created man in his own image and in his own likeness. That God, through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, he crucified the Son of God. He redeemed us by his blood. He, he was raised for our justification. And he has given us dominion over the, all the earth. He has redeemed us by his blood. He has made us kings and priests to rule the earth. He has crowned us, as we read in Proverbs, he has crowned us with his grace. He has crowned us with his glory. That's the wisdom of God. That's the gospel. That's the power of the cross. Not evolution. Verse 21. Uh, I still hear you. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Yeah, that's why I just quoted. That, you know, there's two kinds of wisdom being taught here. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, that's the wisdom of man, did not know God. But it pleased God through the fullness of the message. What message? The message of the cross that he's talking about. Preach to save those who believe. There's a couple things I just want to bring out here. The world, the world, the wisdom of the world does not know God. In other words, let me just say this. You cannot know God by the wisdom of man. You can't have a relationship with God by the wisdom of man. You can't understand God by the wisdom of man. How do we understand and know God? We understand and know God by the person Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God and the body, the Godhead bodily. Uh, we know God by Jesus Christ. When the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek not the wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is not only the power of God, but he is the wisdom of God. I believe Christ is the wisdom of God bodily. In bodily form. Okay? But yet many of us insist and believe there is wisdom, power to live outside of Christ. I find so many people, Facebook, I get in conversations, or I hear conversations, where people, they, they, they have a form of godliness, of trusting the gospel, or at least their version of the gospel. But they still are relying on the wisdom of man to live this life. And that is foolish. And that's foolish. We cannot live this life outside of Christ. There's nothing we can do in this life outside of Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. Real, real quickly, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Again, I just want to bring out one point, but it's a powerful verse. Colossians 2, verse 3. But it says, In whom... And he's talking about Christ in the context, in whom are hidden all the treasures 
and the wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, and actually read verse 2, that the hearts of may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge and mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and the wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, in the Father, and we see the Father, Jesus said, and the Father and Him are one. In Christ is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want to uh, go back to 1 Corinthians, but I want to, again, one more time, look at the Amplified Version. And there's three main points I want to bring out of. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, I'm going to look at the Amplified Version one more time. First Corinthians 1.20 and 21, we're going to look at the Amplified Version. It says, Where is the wise man, the philosopher? Where is the scribe, the scholar? Where is the investigator, the logician, the debater of this present time and age? Has not God shown, shown up the nonsense and the folly of the world's wisdom? But when the world with all of its earthly wisdom fails to perceive and recognize and know by by means of his own philosophy, God and his wisdom was pleased through the foolishness of preaching, salvation procured by Christ to be had through him, to save those who believed, who clung to, who and trusted in and received on him. There's a lot here. Uh, uh, the Amplified is just amplifying. I want to go back to verse 20 real quick, and I want to spend just a couple minutes here. It says, where is the wisdom of the wise? Are the philosophers? Where is the wise? Where are the philosophers? Our culture, and even a lot of our church culture today, is filled with philosophy. The philosophy of man. In some churches, and I'm not brushing every church with this, there is more philosophy being taught from the pulpit than the cross, than Christ, than the gospel. Colossians 2.8, real quick. I'm, get, I'm not done with where I'm at, but I'm going to talk about it real quick. The Colossians 2.8. And I want to look at this at the King James. It says, Paul says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudeness of the world, and not after Christ. Paul tells us to beware of being spoiled by the philosophies of man and not Christ. I mean, you know that when the Word of God instructs us to beware of something, we need to beware of it. Okay? I'm not interested in hearing someone's philosophy most commentaries I don't even care to read them anymore because it's a lot of just philosophy. There are some good commentaries I do like Andrews. I'm not trying to rush, it, rush everything with that because there are some good ones out there. But the Word of God is going to change my life. Christ is going to change my life. And the Gospel of Christ is going to change my life. And 
Okay, these are uh, going back to. Sorry, I thought it was going back to. Yeah, yeah. Going back to Corinthians. Where is the wise man? Where is the philosophers? We don't need the philosophy of man. And I know this is going to sound funny, but we don't need the philosophy of man to tickle and scratch our intellect. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that in these last days, people will teach what people want to hear. To, to tickle their ears. And we don't need philosophies just to tickle our emotions. Or in our, even our intellect. We need the power of God. We need the wisdom of God. All the problems that we're going through. All the problems that anyone else is going through. All the problems in our world can be resolved by the power of God and by the wisdom of God. I don't need philosophy. I want to see the power of God. I want to see lives change by something that is not man-made. That make sense? I don't want my life to be changed by something that's man-made. It also says, where is the scribe? Where is the scholar? Many young people, and not just young people, but many go to college, a place called wisdom, and come out with no faith in God at all. Something's wrong with that. And I'm not against education. I'm not against other vocations. I'm not against any of that stuff. I'm not against college in that sense. But there's many people who have gone to a place of wisdom and come out with no faith in God. I've even had people go to Bible college. I remember my pastor when we were going to go to Bible college. Not carriage, but he, he, he warned me that more, a lot of people who have gone to even Bible college have come away without having a relationship with God. Even in my own experience with Bible college, I became I started studying this book so much as a textbook that it stopped becoming my wisdom. It stopped becoming my life. I stopped having a relationship with the Word. And I began to study for intellect. Well, that makes sense? Mm -hmm. And my relationship with God was, became just callous. It just became it became distant. And uh, there was a season when I wasn't picking this up anymore. That's, that's, a, that's not a good sign. When we are not hungry for the Word of God anymore, when we are not having a relationship with Him anymore, and anything we're doing in ministry is just out of philosophy and the wisdom of man, something is wrong. There's a disconnect. I, I don't want to just pastor. I don't want to just teach because of my philosophy. I want to teach out the Word of God. And I... I try so hard, in a sense, by God's spirit, by God's grace, to not just teach philosophy when I do, but I want to use the Word of God to back up what I'm saying. If I can't use the Word of God to back up what I'm saying, I'm not interested. It also says, where is the investigator? Or I like how, the, and this is one reason why I like the, the, the amplified here, the logician, the debater. See, there are those people... They base their total lives on logic. And this kind of hits me too because I can be a very logical person. If I can't make logical sense out of it, it's hard for me to understand it. It's hard for me to believe it. And so, and so, I, so I, I, I can relate to that. So in other words, are we saying that we can't think and be logical? No. But we can't put our trust, we can't put our faith in logic. We can't build our lives, our homes, our families, our marriages, our church on logic. We build our lives on Christ. 
We build our lives on the Son of God. We build our lives on the cross, on the, be the, the, the death, burial, resurrection, flesh. We build our lives on the Word of God, the wisdom of God. Sometimes things will not make logical sense. It doesn't make logical sense to tithe. It doesn't make logical sense to do some things that God's Word will tell us to do. But when we trust Him, His wisdom, His economy, it works. It's just wisdom. And when, you know, there's been so many times, I was taught, for example, I'm not going to teach on tithing right now, but there have been so many times I've been taught about, I've been taught tithing all my life. I knew the principles. I knew it was good. Some of it was, had some man's philosophies mixed in there. But I knew it was a biblical thing. And I, I, I vacillated. I, have been, I was good at tithing. I wasn't good at tithing. I, I, was, I was all over the map with it. But in the last few years especially, since 2013 or so, Sherry and I have been tithing very regularly. More than we've ever, more consistently than we ever have. And our finances are better than they've ever been. We have even done some things that God's told us to do, uh, even on a budget way. Not had nothing to do with tithing, just budgeting, just being a good steward. Some things that we found in, in Genesis with Joseph and the wisdom that he had and principles he gave. And I've taught on this in, weeks, in, in months past, but our finances have, have, have blossomed in this last year. I mean, just a year ago, we had nothing in savings. Now we're planning a trip to Alaska for, our, for, for next year, 2020, for our 20th wedding anniversary. And we basically already have the funds saved up, plus more. And uh, we, have, we have even multiple savings accounts now. We had nothing in savings just a year ago, but God just gave us some practical wisdom. And in a sense, there's logic in it. But then it didn't come from our own reasoning. It came from the Word of God. It came from the wisdom of God. And in some ways, in some ways, it doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't. The first thing we do is tithe. The second thing we do is put that something in savings, and then we live off the rest. And we, we've learned to do that. That's what Joseph did. He gave 20% of the, 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 the grain that came in in the good years, reserved it for the, the, uh, the years with, with, with drought. 20%. And most businesses, most successful businesses, will invest 20% and live off 80. And that is just good wisdom. And there's logic to it, but the wisdom came from God, not man. And so uh, that's just one example. Uh, real quick here, I think I'm almost out of time. James chapter 3. Two kinds of wisdom. And we talked about this a little bit last week, so I'm not going to reiterate everything here, but i, I got to bring this in here. But begin verse 13. He just talked about the tongue. He says, Who is it among you? Or well, actually, let me get back to the New King James. Excuse me. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, 
but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, is gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's a lot here, but he's asking a very noble question, the same question that Paul did in, in, uh, in, in Corinthians. But who is wise in understanding the you? Let him show by the conduct that he, his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Again, there's two kinds of wisdom, and, and James listens, uh, describes both kinds of wisdom in this passage. In verse uh, 15, he describes the wisdom of man that does not come from above as earthly, sensual, and demonic. Some translation will call it devilish. In verse 17, which we'll spend a couple minutes as we close here this morning, he gives eight characteristic traits of what the wisdom of God looks like. We'll look at that in just a second. But, and this is one, I believe this, this topic of wisdom and understanding the two kinds of wisdom is something that every person in leadership, especially church leadership, needs to understand. There's two different kinds of, of, of wisdom. If we understand these two kinds of wisdom, it just will help us to discern what kind of wisdom we are operating in and what kind of wisdom uh, we, are, uh, we are listening to. Um, let me just make this statement again, and I said it before at the beginning. Both the wisdom of God and the, both the wisdom of man are wise. But, but they, they have a sense of wisdom in it. Just real quick, before we go too much further, and we don't have to turn to it, but just be remembered of back in Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of the fall. And the story of the fall, Genesis 3, 1 through 6, I'm not going to turn there. But we have the Satan as a serpent coming to Eve and, and tempting her. But in the garden, we also know that we have two trees. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And the Satan came to, Satan, to Eve and the very first thing he said, and we know this, did God really say? Or did God say? I don't know about you, but I've been hearing that same type of language in the world, and sometimes in some places in the church. I've had conversations with people on Facebook and other places. Did, did God really say? Especially about some ethical issues that are very prevalent in our culture today. Did God really say that we can't do this? Did God really say this or say that? The, the implication sometimes is God lied to you. I understand that that's what the word God says, but it doesn't work. Um, it can also come across as you can't trust the word of God. I know the God word, word says that, but you can't just trust. I mean, I mean, yesterday I had a conversation with someone that says it can't be as simple as, as trusting the finished work of the cross. It can't be that simple. And he gave experiences in his life and other people's lives where it's not working. 
They, they're Christians. They believe, and it didn't work for them. As if to say that God is lying, that, God, that it doesn't work. It's not as simple as God said it, and so that settles it. No, God said that. I get that. I believe that, but there's more. It's the same connotation. I even had people and some issues that we've done and, and sometimes in some ways that we've responded to certain situations. We've had good Christians, even Bible college, Karis Christians come to us. And I'm not trying to speak any negative, but, but, the, but they come to us asking, why are you obeying God's word? We're under grace. We don't have to obey God's word. We're under grace. The grace of God has teach us to deny ungodliness. The word of God has teach us to obey. We don't obey his word to become righteous. But because we are righteous, we are still going to obey the word of God. And we're still going to obey his precepts. We're still going to obey the wisdom of God in our lives. And how we handle situations. How we handle conflict. We are going to stand on how God told us to respond. How God told us to act. And we've had people challenge us with that. He said... But you're being typical. No, I'm being biblical. And I'm trusting God. God knows how to resolve the situation. I don't trust your response. I don't trust even my response. But I trust God's response. And I'm going to trust Him. But the connotation, did God really say this? I understand God says that, but we're in the New Testament. We need to do this. No, we obey the Word of God. Even this whole right concept that I even heard this from, and I've heard this from every young generation, it's not relevant to this generation. It's not relevant to us. Maybe it was relevant for them, but it's not relevant to us. It's the same connotation that God really say. I believe the word of God, the gospel of Christ, works in all generations. It works. It's not a respect of persons. It's a respect of those who have faith in his grace. Grace is his word. But in verse 6, I'm not going to turn there, in, Galatians, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the Eve saw that the, 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 the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and could make one wise. The, there's wisdom in the tree of life. And there is a wisdom in the tree of knowledge and good and evil. What's so bad about knowing good and evil? They, why do they both sound wise? Because they both are. They both have wisdom. But one is an earthly, sensual, and we don't like this word, but it's a devilish or demonic wisdom. It's from this world. It's from the God of this age. I believe most religions, if not all religions, especially and also the Christian religion, has been the source is not man, although he thinks it is. It's from the devil who has spurred, who has influenced the seed of that thought. We see here in James chapter 3 that those who operate in, in uh, earthly, sensual, natural, carnal wisdom 
It says, where there will be envy or strife and jealousy, there will be confusion and every evil thing. I have seen where there's natural wisdom is that the result will always be that there's some form of strife. I'm trying to get it. Or I'm in strife with other people. There's confusion. And there's every evil work. Proverbs 3.7 says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. It goes on to say, Fear the Lord. And we're going to get into this next week. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, uh, see, when something when we're operating in, in sensual earthly wisdom, we are operating not with the knowledge of God, but we're relying on our own strength, our own knowledge, our own perception, our own reality, which is kind of going around these days. As if the Word of God has to bow to your reality instead of your reality bowing to the Word of God. That's the problem I have with that whole phrase. The major problem I have with that whole phrase your reality. And if I have to submit to your reality, not the Word of God, that's backwards. If my reality is in conflict with His Word, then my reality needs to change. My reality, reality is wrong. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride comes contention, but with the well-advised is Strife, contention only comes by pride. A selfishness. That's, that's self. But, but the well advised comes wisdom. God says he's not an author of confusion, but of peace. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing and with some scriptures that we I'm running out of time. There's some scriptures that we looked at last week how wisdom is very peaceful. And, in, and uh, I don't have time to go through all of it right now. But the, but the, the wisdom of man, see, see I just uh, see, if we have so many examples I can use of this. But and some of the people that come to us for prayer, and sometimes even our own challenges, have not always been because of sickness and finances and stuff, but some will have been relational conflicts. And I've also seen, and I've seen in other churches and whatnot, that there's been times where there's a church split, or there's division, there's a, a divorce, or some type of conflict. But the person who, hopefully this comes across right, the person who is okay with division is not hearing from God, but the guy who wants peace is hearing from God. It's Matthew 5, I forget the reference, 5, 9, and the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. I'm not saying, especially in this sense, that we are necessary to be buddy-buddy with anyone who has, especially if someone's been violated, someone who's been abused. And that can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and kinds of relationships. I'm not saying we're going to necessarily trust that person. But Galatians says, Galatians 6 says, that anyone who's fallen, we who are spiritual, it's our job to restore one another. It's our job to, we're trying to, we, 
Someone who's acting in the wisdom of God is going to try to make peace with the person and with the situation. Just an automatic divorce, an automatic division and separation is not making peace. I believe that's a cop-out. I get it in some situation that is not going to be necessary. But that's not the first card we play. That is not going to be the default that we go to. The wisdom of, how do I know that? Well, first of all, when we were still sinners, alienated from the life of God, God died for us. The gospel, the cross, is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And how did God treat us when we were in conflict with him? His whole purpose the whole purpose of the gospel was to come and reconcile us to himself. He came to bring peace and goodwill to men. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. It goes on to say in verse 7, Isaiah 97, that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. How can we say that God will make peace with us, but we won't make peace with one another? And I'm not saying it can come to that where, we, where it might be where we shake off the dust of our, our feet, so to speak, and that we turn someone over to Satan. But even in that context, Paul says that when someone does repent, it's our job to reaffirm our love to them. We have a responsibility to bear one another's sins. We have a responsibility to love one another. I can go off on this. But we, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we, we, um, so if we, um, I think if we frustrate the Spirit of God, I don't think that's the word I'm looking for. We grieve the Spirit of God, that's the word I'm looking for, when the, how we treat one another. Because of, in the same way he ends with the chapter, we're saying, in the same way that God has forgiven us, we need to forgive one another. Forgiveness. And actually, I'm going to, I'm going to tie this all right back into, I'm going to close here. I'm not going to be able to finish what I want to finish. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. And peaceful, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Why is that true? Because that's how God treated us. And if we are born again, if we will operate, and how God treated us was wisdom. It's his goodness, it's his kindness that led us to repentance. God did everything he could do to make peace with us. We didn't make the first move. He made the first move. We, he didn't do anything wrong. We did everything wrong. But he made peace with us. He pursued us. And even in the parable, even in Matthew 18, and the Matthew 18 starts with the parable of the shepherd leaving the 99 and pursuing the one. Not pursuing the one to judge him, pursuing the one to forgive him and show mercy towards him. And the story of the prodigal was not the father going out to condemn his son. It was out to embrace his son and bring him back home. It was the Pharisee. It was the older brother. It was sitting there, uh, would not come in and fellowship with his, his brother. He would not come in and receive his brother. He would not come in and make peace with his brother. He was okay. See, for the older brother, the prodigal, victory was death. Victory was separation. But for the, for the prodigal, for the father, victory was reconciliation. Victory was life. The goal, the, 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 the pursuit of the wisdom of God is to bring peace and gentleness, and, 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 and mercy, and goodness. But, but 
within the goal. But what, those are operating in the, and, and the wisdom that's not from above, they're gonna, it's going to be earthly. It's going to be sensual. It's, it's demonic. It's full of envy, strife. And it's confusing. It's very confusing. Confusion is not peace. Listen, I hope I'm making my, myself clear. But let me just, uh, uh, I'll close with this. Let me just go through these eight characteristics, and I'm just going to read off some things, and that's it. That's it. I'll, I'll end with this. The, these are characteristic traits of someone who's operating in the wisdom of God. It's pure. It means it's innocent. It's clean. There's no alternative motive. It's peaceable. I've been talking a lot about that, the lady. It's gentle, meaning it's not hostile. It, that doesn't mean that you always agree. It doesn't mean that you're not always, you can't be firm and you can't be excited about something. But it's still, there's a difference between being firm on something and being hostile. It's gentle. Here's the big one, uh, the fourth one. Easy to be entreated, or how to say in New King James, it's willing to yield. If you say that, it means it's someone who is willing to be reasoned with. Someone who won't be reasoned with, that should be a red flag. That is not the wisdom of God. You ever have someone you can't even be reasonable? You can't even talk with them? They shut you out. That is not the wisdom of God. I'm not saying we're just going to put up with abuse. I'm not saying that we're just going to put up with hostility. I, if someone's hostile, I'll say, I'll let you calm down. When you want to have a deep, decent conversation, we'll talk. I'm keeping the door open. But I'm not going to entertain a hostile situation. I'm trying to say that with gentleness, with firmness. But I'm also, I'm still being reasonable. But being hostile is not reasonable. Shutting people out is not reasonable. And usually those who shut people out, they think they're right. And sometimes, from a Christian standpoint, they think they heard from God. And under the, under the umbrella, I've heard from God, they shut people out. That's wrong. I don't have time to develop all that. I know I'm going to do this real fast. They're full of mercy. They're compassionate. They're forgiving. That doesn't mean we compromise. That doesn't mean we agree. But that also doesn't mean we're going to be judgmental. They're full of good fruits. They're without partiality. I mean, they're not biased. They're not showing favoritism. They're consistent. They're without hypocrisy. We'll be done with this one more next week. But they're always sincere. They're honest. They don't, they're not manipulating. They're not vacillating. And I didn't get to finish, but we're going to spend a little bit more time in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 next week. And then we'll go into the seven pillars of wisdom. Hopefully this is making sense. There's a lot of different things I'm bringing out. And I didn't I get to bring in all the... Um, draw everything I wanted to bring out this morning. But there's two kinds of wisdom. That's the main thing I was trying to bring out this morning. And I want to operate in the wisdom of God. And I kind of rushed it this week and even last week with these eight characteristic traits of the wisdom of God. But you can see, you can tell an apple tree by its fruit. You can tell if someone's operating in the wisdom of God by its characteristics. You can also tell someone operating in the wisdom of man by its characteristics. God said he came to destroy the wisdom of man. And the wisdom of man does not have the wisdom of God. Lord, we just worship you, we exalt you, we magnify you. Lord, I know there's a lot here, and I haven't been able to convey everything I wanted to convey yet. But Lord, I know in time you'll allow me to bring it out. But Lord, uh, 
We want to walk in wisdom. Lord, you said we need to go get it. We, in other words, we need to receive it. We need to pursue it. We need to be in relationship with you and your word so that we can receive it, so that we can walk in it, and we can also communicate it to other people. Lord, help us to be a people, a church, a nation that will honor you and walk in your wisdom. We magnify you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Christ, where all of the wisdom is hidden. We worship you. We magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll bring out a little bit next week, and that's what I'm going to go to was 1 Corinthians chapter 2, okay, about why the wisdom of God is hidden in Christ. We'll see the significance of that, why it's hidden, and we'll see the significance of that. Uh, and the reason for that. It's not, it was hidden, it now needs to be exposed. And so, uh, but it was hidden in Christ. So, hopefully this makes sense. There's a lot of deep stuff in here. Probably too much covered at one time, that's probably my problem.